0: Welcome to Bo Deedle's True Crime Story. I don't think we can really have a crime story without talking about this next thing that occurred. I'm really honored today. I got my partner and my best friend, Lieutenant Mike Servola, retired from the NYPD, commanding officer of detective squads all over the place, handled some of the biggest investigations. But what we're going to do talk about today, Michael, is a date, September 11th, 2001, And at that time, I'll set the groundwork. We had uh, two floors of our offices in the Daily News building, the old Superman building on 42nd Street, 220 East 42nd Street. We had the 35th, 36th floors. So I'll bring you a little bit up on my part, and then you jump in, Mike. So that day, I'll never forget. It was about 72 degrees, not a cloud in the sky, one of these beautiful, beautiful fall afternoons. And I was driving in and I had my little Mercedes 600 top down. I'm listening to Miss in the morning like that I always listen to. And I'm going over the viaduct and all of a sudden I see smoke. You can see the two towers of the World Trade Center. Now, let me go back a little bit. A lot of people don't know, I worked at, on a permit as a iron worker building the World Trade Center back in 1969, and before I became a cop. So I, I was kind of familiar with the World Trade Center, and I loved the buildings. I, I'm very familiar with the structural steel and why they went down. We'll get into that. You can ask me any questions on that. So I'm watching the smoke, and then all of a sudden I listen, and they said a small Cessna hit the one of the World Trade Center towers. So I saw the smoke going in. I was just waiting there, and I'm calling up Imus trying to get through, trying to get through, because I was listening to the show. Next thing is, all I saw was this explosion. I was so far away, you, the size of the explosion was half the building. That's what I remember, the fuselage. The fireball. They, the fireball was half the building. And my first thought in my mind was there had to be bombs in the building. That was what I thought. Now they closed the Midtown Tunnel down. So I show my retired badge and I go through there about 90 miles an hour. I figure maybe they're blowing up the tunnel. So the next thing I remember is coming to the office with you, and our offices were down the block from the United Nations. Correct. So there was other planes, now all of a sudden it's coming out that the World Trade Center got hit and there, there might be other planes in the sky, planes hit them. And I looked at you and you looked at me and when the buildings came down, you were in the office with me. What were your feelings, Mike, when they imploded, the first ones? It was the most shocking,
1: unbelievable, surreal thing that I have ever
0: seen in my entire life. And we actually saw them in real time from our window. We had
1: a direct view of them. Right. We both had corner offices on the 35th floor, and everyone was piled in my office and your office looking Looking south and watching the buildings fall. But what I recall is I walked into the building— the lobby. And we used to do security at the Daily News building when Steve Whitcoff owned that building. And our top security supervisor came running over to me and said, Mr. Ceravolo, we got all the doors locked down. I said, yeah, well, why do you have the doors locked down? A plane hit the World Trade Center. So I get in the elevator. go upstairs. The second one had hit, so now there's, both towers are on fire, and we had a lot of young women in the research department. Everyone was crying. Everyone was hysterical, and you and I were trying to, you know, have our cop face a- on, think, keep think, everyone calm.
0: And I think in our mind was, there was other planes, supposedly. What were we worried about?
1: Some of the people in the office were worried that we were going to get hit, well, and they, they were going to hit you know, skyscrapers in New York no, City, all hit over the, the place. United Nations, right? Was and right which down was the block. down the block.
0: us, yeah. yeah. So now, when we're there, all of a sudden the towers come down. We tell everybody, you know, go home and whatever. And then I look at you, and you look at me, and we're in suits. We wear suits every. We wear suits every day. So I says, Mike, we got to get down there. So we went to an Army Navy store on Second, Second Avenue, Avenue, and we bought NYPD sweatshirts, construction boots, and dungarees, right? Yep. And then we. M-Y-P- PD baseball cap And then we hopped in my convertible car and we, shot, on. and we shot downtown. All the drives were closed. We were showing our badges running through there. And I'll never forget, once we got closer, it looked like it became like an eclipse or it became midnight. Remember the,
1: the Well, we went down the FDR drive and at the bottom of the FDR drive, you have the tunnel that comes around, that mm-hmm. comes out onto West Street. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, it was like a snowstorm had hit About four or five, six inches of white, uh, not white, it was like beige talcum powder. That covered everything, and when
0: you're walking, was crunch, crunch. It crunched. Yes, it was like walking in fresh snow, right? Mike? Exactly. So when exactly. we, so when we get down there, it was total confusion, and we don't know what the hell we're doing. All I know is one thing, because I was an iron worker, and I worked on the World Trade. Center, I figured maybe, just maybe, we could save somebody.
1: Oh, we had flashlights. That was our intention to go down there and see if we and, could save and, people. And,
0: and there was no coordination, anything. Everybody was running around. But I remember one thing. We only had those. Bandanas. We bought
1: in the Army and Navy store red, like bandanas, and we tied them like we looked like we were going to rob a stagecoach <laughs> in an old time Western.
0: So I remember when we first went into the where all the steel was down and all that, I remember distinctly of I just kept. Walking, I don't know if you remember me crawling in yeah. there. I just kept crawling to the end where the fire was coming up, and all I kept doing was saying, "Hey, is anybody there? Is anybody?" I figured maybe somebody survived in a in an airlock or something, and that smoke. I looked over. There, and I'm going to tell you something, Mike. To this day, I remember it. looked like what hell looked like. I'll yeah. never forget. There were fire was raging out of that hole. I crawled to the edge of the thing, and I had to back off because the fire was coming up. And then I'm crawling around, and, and all I kept saying was, is anybody there? Is anybody there? And I think I had separated from you. You went one way. I went another way. And we just stayed there. and We, we really thought we were going to find
1: somebody yeah. help, and, but there was no one and left. And
0: as the night progressed, all of a sudden— Sudden, we got a call from Steve Whitkoff, and Steve Whitkoff called us and said, Where are you guys? We said, We're down here. He goes, Come pick me up. He was having dinner at the seafood restaurant, Atlantic Grill on Third Avenue. So we picked him up, we threw him in the car, and we went down there. I never saw him leave the sidewalk, really, Mike. Did you ever see him leave the sidewalk? (laughs) He was standing there with a flashlight. Steve was there with us in spirit. Yeah. But we went back. We called around. Then he left us after about what was well, he there about forty five minutes? About half no, an
1: hour? no, he was there for some hours. And I remember we walked. He also owned the Woolworth building, yeah. We and were doing and we had to take a break to have some water, and our eyes were tearing from the fires and the fumes yeah. and everything. And we walked into the Woolworth building, and that's a scene that I'll never forget, because BDA still does the security at the Woolworth yeah. building, and it's a beautiful ornate. Lobby, but it was Art Deco. But it was full of soot and ash, and there were firefighters laying all over the floor, trying to get twenty minutes of sleep before they went back and trying to get the soot and that asbestos off their
0: face. Yeah. Well, part of the thing was too. When I was driving down there, I'll never forget. I went on eighty-eight News, eighty-eight radio, and I said, "Anybody down there, please." Let me tell you, there's asbestos because when we built the World Trade Center, the structural steel was sprayed with asbestos. That was before 1973. Only in 1973 did it become illegal. So they were supposed to remove it all, but instead of removing it, they were impacting it around the steel girders. Right. So it was there. So when those buildings came down, they encased it. Yeah, and then that it. that tooth. What was the name? The uh, Christy- Christie Whitman. Whitman is on the air saying, "Everybody, the air is fine. Don't." Don't worry about it. I said, she's a friggin' snaggle nut. <laughs> I said, the air is not fine. Cover your faces, cover your faces. There is asbestos all over the. And it proved out to be how many people have died, uh, firemen and cops and emergency workers from that crap when she's there, oh, oh, everything is okay. I said, she's a moron. Asbestos is all over.
1: The other thing I remember is we had those bandanas, but we were breathing everything right into our lungs. And then somebody from the American Red Cross gave us the little surgical masks like they use when you're sanding drywall down, you know? And at least we had that covering our face. The other thing I remember, every half hour, every hour or so, somebody from the Red Cross would would put saline in our eyes because we would just crying from all the fires you, around us.
0: And did you remember when we went down there by the Winter Garden and uh, we caught those guys robbing the, uh, they had ghouls, they had ghouls there, and I'm not going to say who, but we caught some guys robbing the stores. I mean, this is the biggest event in the, our history of our country, biggest attack, and you had frigging ghouls there robbing stores and stuff. We were a little angry, right, well, Michael? Uh, yeah, we were angry, but there was one, one civilian
1: who stole a pair of sunglasses, From one of the kiosks in the winter garden. And this young captain, captain yeah. NYPD captain, in civilian clothes, grabbed him, and he saw us with our shields on. He says, take possession of the prisoner. <laughs> and meanwhile, the whole world is caving in around us. Everything's on fire. Thousands of people have been killed. And he's worrying about this guy who committed a petty larceny of sunglasses. So we said, OK, Cap, we'll guard the prisoner. We sat him down, and he was sitting there. We took the handcuffs off him after the captain so left, and we said, get it.
0: lost. And you remember, Michael, as the evening progressed, yep. we were part of something that went on till the sun came up. And I remember it distinctly. There were two Port Authority cops, a sergeant and a cop, that were the only ones that were alive. Anybody tells you they were pulling people out here, saving bodies, they were all gone. So in reality, we were on a line from the sidewalk all the way to the hole where they were in. We were passing bottles of water we and used oxygen. used to
1: call it a me and you. Used to call it with each other a daisy chain. Yeah. We were part of the daisy and chain, and
0: then we were passing the oxygen to the rescue workers, the firemen, and the cops' emergency service. And then remember one thing, Michael, around two o'clock in the morning, what was that distinctive sound that was like thousands of? It-
1: yeah, that was the Scott air pack on the backs of the 343 firefighters who were lost in that tragedy, and the air was run out, out, and that's their warning signal. That they're running and, out, of but we heard it amplified, you know, hundreds, hundreds of times because it, it, it
0: sounded like rats, right? And, and
1: that's what we did all night long. We passed fresh oxygen tanks into the the firefighters who were trying to dig out their brothers and the emergency service cops, and we were passing out the empty ones, and, then, and we did that hundreds and hundreds and of then, times And then night. as
0: the days went on, we went back down there many, many times, and yeah. we brought Mike Piazza, Imus down there. And yeah,
1: well, that was good for the morale, yeah. because in day four, five, I mean, the firemen, the cops, All we they were, were exhausted, yeah. so to bring... Mike so, Piazza down there. They uh, were cheering. I remember. He was good for their morale. He was going around, giving them a hug, telling them they're doing a great job. It was good. It was. It made Mike feel good, but it made hundreds and hundreds of guys who were working 18 hours.
0: Vinny Vinnie we
1: De, Vinnie Testaverde asked us to take them down, and yeah. we took them down, and he did the same thing. It was good for the morale of the firefighters and the cops that were... Digging you and no, know, on and the pile,
0: and those hero firefighters and cops that we lost, you know, and then all of a sudden, we they had the museum on Hudson off of Hudson Street, the fire department museum, and I took it upon myself to, I think raised about three hundred fifty thousand for their museum, the nine eleven exhibit, and I was able to give them a check. Tommy Matola was involved with me, and I tell you that it was a time that you don't. You'll never forget if you were down here, But more so, it was the feeling of everyone, Michael, like not now. Today's such division. Everybody was together. Yeah. Everybody. You- and everyone appreciated who? They appreciate cops, cops and firemen. Cops and
1: firemen. And I wish that feeling held today. You know, I remember- we had done security for Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, and our boss, the guy Sal. who ran, Sal Iannuzzi, ran CIBC, he said, Mike, we have $350 million worth of bearer oh, bonds yeah. this, left this on desks right across the street at One World now, Financial Now, let me tell Center. people
0: what the bearer bonds are. It was like cash. So, $350 million of bearer bonds. We should have gotten a percentage, but I was stupid. <laughs> we just did our job. We did the right thing, and we Contacted Bernie Kerrick, who was the commissioner. Well, the guy who got us
1: in, who uh, was running a command center, was Bob Gianelli. At that time, he was an inspector. He retired. Well, we'll as let the people chief understand of patrol. what we're talking about. He gave us ten detectives. Okay, now we'll let people crew. understand.
0: Now the bank was in a no—you couldn't go in that area. It was uh, oh yeah? It was off boundaries. It was frozen. Frozen, frozen, was frozen zone. You couldn't zone. go in there. But yet, there was three hundred fifty. You could say three hundred fifty million dollars of cash there on desks. So now we had a try to circumventilate that. And uh, go ahead, Mike, tell the So
1: we got access with about a dozen of our people with about 10 NYPD detectives and the whole legal team from CIBC. And we climbed the stairs of One World Financial and we recovered the bonds. We stuffed them in canvas mail sacks. Then we took them out and we brought them to the first precinct. They were vouched as evidence. And then. Down the road, the legal eagles at CIBC were able to recover. And then, and then after those that, with
0: CIBC, we had the. What they did was they did trading. What was that company that they did the trading, Mike, and we brought all the celebrities there?
1: Oh, they used to have a day where they would raise money for the victims. Uh, yeah. And we bring all the celebrities. Right. The celebrities would come and answer phones, you know, and take contributions.
0: Wow. You know, Michael, I could close my eyes and was like yesterday, but so much division. I keep going back. So much division in this country. With all those lives lost, the 3,000 plus lives lost, it gave us a great respect for each other. And we were great Americans together, and now subsequently in the last 21 years, what has happened to our country with this division, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, blah, 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 blah. I don't know about you, but it's like a friggin' nightmare. No? Well, do you recall
1: when we would drive south on West Street, that the people would be on south along the West Side Highway going towards the pile? Yeah. People would be on both sides of the street behind barriers with American flags cheering for us, for the cops, for the firefighters going down to work on the pile. And there was such a a unity that New Yorkers and people came from all over the country to unite and to cheer for the heroes.
0: I wish we had that today. One thing I remember distinctly, when the towers came down, no one knew what, where, how... If there was going to be survivors or not, all I know is the trauma of all the hospitals, everyone reported in, and the trauma, they were ready for hundreds of people to be helped. And you know who showed up, Michael? No one no one a lot of people don't know that they, and I love to hear people Michael talk to me and tell me guys on Long Island I'm drinking in a bar or something oh yeah I was down here I was pulling bodies out at the World Trade Center I look at my I says well, what World Trade Center were you at there was no bodies to pull out there were two people left the Port Authority and if you were there which we were there you know what I'm talking about and the bad part about it again there was no real survivors except for those two so on your show here,
1: we talk about crimes that we've worked on and cases. Yeah. But this, to me, this just trumps every crime that, because this was a mass murder, 2,750 people working in the buildings, 184 dead in the Pentagon, 40 dead in Shanksville on that plane on that went planes, down. Yeah. You had 343 firefighters give their life 23 NYPD offices A little side note So I had a a young kid, Neil Pettit Who grew up with my son, Michael And he was always in my house as a kid When he was 12, 13, I know him all his life And he was a rookie In Midtown South, and he was RDO That day, he was not working He was regular day off But he called me on my cell phone when you and I were down there passing oxygen. Mr. C, could you find my brother? His brother, Glenn Pettit, worked in Taru, technical assistant. So his job that day when the planes hit was to film everything. He was like a cinematographer. And he was standing under the building filming, looking up when the building fell down on him. And he called me every half hour while we were down there. We were down there until it Mm -hmm. became daylight. And did you find my brother? His brother was found you know, weeks well, and you, weeks you, later. you
0: know, there's so many stories, but one of the things, if you remember, the cell phone stopped working there a little bit. And yeah, but uh, I was getting calls from Neil Pettit. Yeah, no, I mean, it was off and on, but the yeah. thing was, I got tremendous amount of calls, please, about my cousin, yeah. this one, that one, yep. and a friend. John was with my friend Nicoletti. Oh, and the FBI. And with the FBI. So, John, come on, Michael. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He was an American hero. Well, so John was now... Involved with Nicoletti. County terrorism. And they were head of the county uh, and they wrote books about him and all that. So John was tracking down bin Laden in Pakistan and they had him zeroed in and four Americans were killed in Pakistan and they were investigating and they called up Janet Reno, was contacted about to send a Hellfire missile on bin Laden back then. This is in the late 90s because they knew that bin Laden was the one that was behind the attacks in Africa. They knew all these things, the attack on the coal. So what they did was they were asking for permission to take bin Laden out. Just imagine, history could have been a lot different if bin Laden took the pipe and they were able to use a hellfire missile on. So John now retires from the FBI. John retires from the FBI. And what he does is he becomes the director of security for the world. John O'Neill. Johnny O'Neill. I used to drink with him in the lanes. And I'm so sorry, Johnny, for not remembering your name. I apologize. John O'Neill, true American heroes. So John O'Neill just takes the job as director of the World Trade Center Security. First day. First day. It was his first day. And he ends up. Getting killed by Bin Laden in a roundabout way. Yeah. That was unbelievable. And there's so many stories. And when everybody starts thinking negatively about oh, I don't like this, CRT, you gotta be guilty for this, you know. We should all think about one thing. This is our country. And that was the epitome of I've never seen our country come together the way it did after 9-11. I just wish that we had some of that left, Michael. And as the days went on, you know, you talked about 3,000 approximately dead, Mike. I think that it's probably quadrupled by now oh, with all the sicknesses. since all,
1: all the cancers I, I that manifest. got I got the cancer from front.
0: down there, and you caught your lungs. <laughs> and he's coughing because he knows yeah. his lungs got it, and my lungs got it. And, you know, to this day, it was one of the most unbelievable days, I think, in your life, of things that have happened in your life, Mike, with the birth of your two sons and my children and grandchildren and all your grandchildren, that's wonderful stuff. Marriage, all wonderful stuff, loves of your lives, but that has to be something that is one of the most irritable remembering days of your life, I think, Uh, no? It's
1: it's something that I could never, I'd love to forget it, but there's times, you know, as you're trying to fall asleep, you're thinking about it, it comes into mind. You know what I just looked up some stats. Yeah. 291 bodies were found intact out of
0: all, out of all the people down 2, there. 2,800, whatever.
1: 2,753. Only 291 bodies were found intact. But families that never received any remains? How many? 1,717.
0: 1,700 people have not gotten a speck of DNA you at all, Michael? Yes, Wow. Because they removed, what they did was they used, they removed a the lot to Staten Island and they had people working on the, or, because you got to understand something, the people were, what's the word you're going to use? Mm, pulverized. Oh, pulverized. yeah. Pulverized. Pulverized. Yeah. So in other words, a bone Vaporized. that you would know as a bone became part of the concrete. So in reality, with our advance, they've just discovered a couple of them in the last year. Yeah. Identified. Yeah. I believe with DNA some more will be from some of the remains that were there but it is embedded in my mind and you know what when you think things are bad when you start complaining about this complaining about that we all got to remember those lives that were given up that day by this terrorist. And what scares me, Michael, the way we've gone, we're dropping our guards so much we're letting our borders people come in here. Who the hell knows what's going to hit next? And anybody tells me, oh, Bo, you're talking out of your butt. Bullcrap. I don't know what's coming across that board. They don't even have to take a flight in. They could just come right over and no one's going to identify. I'm frightened that something's going to happen again. Especially we just took out that 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 idiot, that doctor there, that number two guy to bin Laden. Yeah. There's going to be something, some kind of retaliation. And look at even what happened with Simon Rushki. We thought that was over. Yeah. You know, with this book that he wrote and all that yeah, stuff.
1: Yeah, that vendetta is
0: open-ended. It goes forever. Well, the vendetta was like kind of forgot about. They call but it a fatwa. A, yeah, but a fatwa. Now, basically, there's other moron there. A young kid was well wasn't born when it right, came out exactly but who knows what's percolating out there some people are down Michael I want to make a statement Allah Akbar you know all that and uh, you know what <laughs> I think about it every day and I will not forget it and the real true heroes of that day was our dear friend George Pataki the governor and our dear friend Rudy Giuliani was a, quite a leader, and our friend Bernie Kerik, and Joe Esposito, Joe Esposito, our great friend. I mean, chief of department. Everyone stepped up, and our, our fire commissioner, Van Essen. Oh, wow! That was that was some time. And Do you, uh, uh,
1: this this comes to mind as we were, you know, walking around the pile, and we saw a fire engine that was. Flattened. Yeah. It was. Like an accordion. Yeah. No, if it used to be 12 feet tall, it was now like seven feet taller. Yeah. That's how I remember it. And I remember an RMP, a Radio Motor Patrol car, the police car, was flattened and there was an empty pair of, you know, black police shoes next yeah. to it. And uh, when we went to the museum, when we got invited, before the museum opened to the yeah. public, we, I think we, they asked us to come at midnight. And we went at midnight with yeah. Jacqueline. you told talking I, about which museum, the fire department the, or the, the, World, no, Trade the oh. World Trade Center? No, the World Trade Center. And we saw the fire engine yeah. that we yeah. had seen that day.
0: Yeah. There. That, you know, Mike, we're going to wrap it up soon. But a lot of people, you know, I, I was an iron worker. And when the World Trade Center was built, everyone said, oh, it was built to implode. That's a load of bull crap. The fact of the matter, because I was there, was they built it. I was working, I believe it was Iron Workers Local 40. I think I was under a permit. So basically, the way it was built, they had four kangaroo cranes in the middle that were built up on hydraulics. And as the building goes up, they went up. And they would put the outside uh, walls in first, fly them in, and tighten them. I was what they call a connector. You use a stud wrench, you connect the steel, and then you put a bolt in there. And then the guys, the bolt-up crew comes, and they, and then they put a spot weld on it. So basically, it was a pretty safe building built for the ironworkers. Why were they built like that? Why did they come like that? They were built for aesthetic views. They didn't want columns in the middle. They want open training floors where I could yell across the floor, you, hey, Mike. So there was no real infrastructure in the in center. In the middle. Except for the elevator shafts. So in reality, it was not this new building. You could hit that thing with missiles, anything you want. God but forbid. it was not, was not built in the sense of that it would fall down and implode. So when the first tower, if you remember, the first one was hit high. That was yeah. the second one to implode down. Right. The f- the second one was hitting the middle. Right. That was the one that went first because what happened was that was burning over 3,000 degrees. It burnt that metal on the outside, and what was happening was when we built them, we'd fly in these things with salamanders on it. They were about six inches high, and then they would pour in about five, six inches of concrete for the floors, so there was no real support under there. So when those big, heavy walls melted and came down on those floors, there was nothing to hold them up, Mac. It was like potato chips. Bing, 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 Right down. And that's when it came down. The other one took longer because it was higher up. But eventually that steel fell. And when that steel fell on those floors... There was nothing to hold them up. And that's the facts. And anybody, I don't care if you're a civil engineer, you want to dispute it, I'd love to dispute it because I was there. I know what happened. I was there when they sprayed the asbestos on those beams when they were supposed to be removed and they impacted them in there. They took a lot of money. A lot of people made money to remove it. It wasn't removed. It yeah, was just in It was just, just encased. It was encased. encased. So, I mean, it's just, this was our perspective, Mike, uh, probably... The day that America came together, the day America was attacked by the worst attack ever on our soil, and we should never forget. The worst
1: crime that you and I were ever witness to.
0: And I I just hope everyone continues to listen to True Crime Podcast. And also, I want everyone to tune into our podcast, One Tough Podcast, and Bo Deedles True Crime. And again, we're still in business, 38 years investigations.com. Any questions, anything you need, please look upon calling us. Security Investigations, Bo Dietl Associates, Mike Servos, our chief investigator there, and we look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.